good morning, Mike and Marvin and Will. How are y'all doing this morning? Good, I'm good. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, Will, you're off site. Do you want to share with everyone uh, where you're at and what you're engaged in? I'm at an undisclosed location in Stanton, Virginia, <laughs> uh, in a training for the next two days. Wonderful, wonderful. And earlier, yeah. uh, a while ago, you said you had this nice picturesque scene this morning. Yeah, I, I opened my eyes and looked out the window and saw the sun peeking over the mountains this morning. It's, it's a good reminder of the subject matter we're about to talk about with recreation how good God is in creating the beautiful landscape around us. Yeah. Who, who made all that stuff? Will? but we'll get God, into that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It ties right into our discussion today. Uh-huh. Mike and Marvin, how y'all doing this morning, brothers? Doing fine. Doing good. I'm on my third cup of coffee. Okay. Excellent. Well, me too. Me too. I haven't even had one yet. Um, Oh no, Will! You haven't had what? Oh wow! I'm trying this new thing where I go 90 minutes without drinking coffee, and I hydrate instead. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so that the adenosine can leave my body, so that when I take the caffeine, when the caffeine wears off, there's not a rush of adenosine attacking my system. So, mm. you know, that's funny. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday uh, on the way. I had to run a couple errands in Gloucester yesterday evening, and uh, the, it was like a health podcast and the guy was talking about that too. He gets up. I forgot if he said he drinks a pint or, or a liter, which one of I those would be leader. bigger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He just said it just gets everything going and moving and all that, you know, it like wakes his body up and his stomach and digestive system and all that. So I thought, well, that was interesting. So he just takes his time. He said, I don't chug it. He said, I just sip it slowly and, and, and just wake up. So I said, interesting. So he's waking up nice and slow. Mike Thompson has got to go, so he's shoving down three cupfuls of coffee. And Marvin's on a coffee IV. He's always drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah, never far from a cup until yeah. a certain point in, in in the day, and then then I'm done. All right, well, guys, why don't we get into our our um, our talk right now? We uh, for those of you listening uh, with us, uh, we are now crossing the line and we're going into volume two of Joel Beakey's systematic theology. And it starts off with the doctrine of creation. And specifically it starts off with anthropology. Uh, now guys, what, what is anthropology and, and why is that important? And why would Beakey front load that right at the very beginning of his second volume? That's going to be talking about creation. So would y'all like just explain that, define it for us, and why is it even important? Why would we? Why should we be looking at this? Well, I, I'll give it a shot. Um, uh, at the very beginning on, on, on his introduction, he, when he talks about the function, he says to use the word of God as a mirror in which to see what we are so that by grace we may become what we should be. And then what I thought was really uh, pretty neat is then – uh, and I'm going to jump ahead on page 74. He kind of ties it all in. He said, therefore, let us be what God made us to be. Let us live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Uh, if by grace we do so, then we fulfill the very purpose for which God created the world to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, to me, that it just ties in. We 
to be able to know ourselves, we need to know the Word of God, because the Word of God is going to uh, help us identify who we are and what we should be. Mm. Yeah. The study of anthropology in technical terms is the uh, theological, it's the, the Bible's approach to the question, what is man? What the terms theological and redemptive historical is theological anthropology because it understands man in a manner inseparable from his relationship with God. And I love how Beaky tied that in with creation because that's the very first, that's how the Bible introduces man in relation to God. And that's how we should view ourselves immediately in relation to who created us. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I love what Beaky says on, on the bottom of page 38. I think he really, ties it together and he starts very foundational just as a very definition of what uh what the word means he says the theological discipline of anthropology seeks to address this question what is man and y'all have brought that up already what is man especially in relation to god the term anthropology derives from a combination of the greek word for man or human being which is anthropos and the term for speech thought or word logos Theology in general is the knowledge and wisdom derived from meditating upon and obeying the word of God. Therefore, theological anthropology is a submissive study of God's word to learn about ourselves. And, you know, we, we kind of ask the question, uh, okay, so we're, we're going to get, we, we have to have a doctrine of man and we want to get our doctrine of man of scripture, but I can just imagine someone saying, I mean, practically how is that going to help if i've sort of got that you know under my belt going out you know tomorrow which is wednesday and thursday and friday really how does that help me and and i love the questions that joe beaky has on page 42 because these are very very practical questions and i know in talking with people and in counseling people you know they have hit you know the a, a lot of issues go all the way back to these very basic questions so I just kind of want to read these, and then, and then Marvin, I want to toss it to you just to get your insight on some of these things we've been talking about just on the very foundational level of what anthropology is. But okay. here, here are the questions that Beaky asks. He says, um, he says, profound and searching questions to serve those not lulled to sleep by pleasure, leisure, and entertainment. He's talking about the things that people mostly spend their their time and their attention on in our day, pleasure, leisure, and entertainment. But the more foundational questions that biblical anthropology would give an answer to are questions like this. Who am I? What are my roots? Do I belong to something bigger than myself? Why is my life so painful and confusing? What does it mean to be human? How are we different from animals? How can I know what is right and wrong? Are all things merely relative? Why are we in the mess that we're in? Why is it that despite our remarkable technology and information systems, we cannot solve basic problems such as social justice and world peace? Why do people who are not so different from us commit atrocities such as genocide, terrorism, human trafficking, and ethnic oppression? And in this final question, where's our world going? Do I have any cause for hope? Man, those are... Those are very foundational questions. And he's yeah, right. Really you know, is. the one who lives to go work all through the week, make their paycheck and to go, go to go to Walmart on Saturday, spend their paycheck and then have leisure on Sunday only to start everything over on Monday. They're often not thinking about these things until something in life uproots them 
and they have to go back to these very basic questions. Marvin. Yeah, I, I think these are very good questions. And I think uh, that anthropology from a theological perspective is everything that uh, Mike and Will said it is. But anthropology has been part of um, probably beginning in the 19th century, uh, part of the uh, study of uh, basically what we would call social studies, that is psychology, sociology, anthropology. Um, and it not so much describes or tries to get to the interstate of man, but tries to uh, talk about the formative influences on people. Uh, and it takes as an assumption then that we are the sum basically of our experiences. There is no, there is no core or no, or, or no uh, human or nor human nature in that sense. Uh, but I mean, what this does, however, is it does remind me, and again, this is, uh, the thesis that I did my PhD uh, dissertation on hmm. uh, is artificial intelligence uh, in relationship to this. We've uh, and, and creativity in particular, uh, using uh, uh, a Scottish physiologist named Donald Mackay's model of comprehensive realism. But um, but a lot of people, even the people that are the pioneers in AI, have come out recently, and you guys are probably seeing it in your feed every day, are, are coming out with warnings about artificial intelligence. Uh, and, and really, I mean, it is a it is a, a uh, uh, it is a discipline that goes back uh, for now 60, 70 years, uh, made uh, made famous by the um, by what is called the Turing Challenge. Alan Turing was a mathematician, very important in uh, uh, code breaker in, uh, for Britain in, uh, in World War II. Uh, but the challenge always was, uh, is to create a conversation with an automaton or a computer as it's gone by its various names. Uh, and in that really to conceal the fact that you're talking with a machine. And of course, that's mm. gone way beyond it. But cutting to the chase here the bottom line of this is that in terms in terms of an intelligence this is not something we've even agreed on uh, and that's why this this study is so is so important uh, in the sense that in the sense that uh, intelligence uh, from a biblical perspective is not only knowledge but also wisdom um, and if we if we are committing oversight of certain responsibilities in life to uh, to an intelligence uh, that is derived, uh, then uh, in essence, uh, we are committing it to uh, a certain view of the world. Now, the, what, the, what the Bible says about us is that our worldview is constantly changing. I mean, it's based in the fact that we're creating the image of God, that we are his creatures, that we owe him obedience, that sin is our dreaded plague. And as such, uh, our intelligence is always bumping up against that. Uh, it is always the enemy of wisdom. And so as far as an artificial intelligence goes, the, the people that are now in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a flood of warning us about this, are just saying we as a civilization are too vulnerable uh, and too naive about this. 
uh, is because basically, in essence, what we have done is we've taken a technology which is great for pattern for pattern recognition, for machine learning in terms of uh, gathering data, large volumes of data and discerning patterns in it. But we've taken that and gone to the next level, and we've actually committed very high level and governing tasks to it. Uh, and so we see that as well. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the most practical examples of that is on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, Instagram, all, and all the all the platforms. Really, for quite a while, I've been using artificial intelligence actually to suss out what they consider to be objectionable uh, ways of speaking and what they term to be disinformation. Now, how does the intelligence know that? Well, it knows that from a basic platform of building a worldview uh, and filtering and filtering knowledge through that. Uh, there is no ability, there is no ability for that intelligence to grow. Uh, there is no ability for that intelligence really to catch the nuances that we have, for instance, in uh, uh, in telling a joke, uh, uh, humor uh, is one of the is one of the great dividers. There, uh, we can only we can only tell something that is funny to us, and try to program it into or trying to make it a part of the algorithm of an AI program, uh, but only do so in such a way uh, that it is limited within that sphere. They're really uh, the 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 essence of humor. Really, is is the discontinuity between the joke and the real world. But to, but to see that in a sense, uh, in a sense, it takes off or makes light of something in the world, uh, while being slightly contradictory, yet is very illuminating on some aspect of reality. And and got and comedians make a make a living of it uh, out of this. Uh, we have really, I think, as far as anthropology, we have committed too much uh, to an arbiter. And that basically is what our artificial intelligence is becoming, is an arbiter of what is right and wrong, but without indeed any any basis for, uh, for intellectual development in the way that we have it. Uh, and particularly in the matter of, in a human perspective, Going back to these very fine and illuminating questions that Beaky has of trying to determine um, and trying to determine why these are basic questions and trying to wrestle with our experience as humans, we wrestle with this as Christians, we particularly wrestle with this because of the flesh, because we have a fallen nature that infects uh, uh, that in, uh, that uh, affects every part of our intelligence. Uh, and so we are constantly element, or we're constantly uh, in self-deception, and we need a correction. Uh, and uh, spiritually, our correction, of course, is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Um, and, and so, as such, then I, I think this is a very timely study uh, to really kind of bring us within the realm or within the frame of what, who, we, who we really are before we try to assign uh, mastery to an intelligence uh, that is derived from us and that we give mastery over us.
Wonderful, wonderful, good. Thank you, Marvin. And speaking of that, you know that that AI is coming from a very worldly perspective, and uh, and and, and Beaky discusses that. He discusses, uh, you know, we all have a doctrine of man. We all have a doctrine of anthropology. The question is not, do you have that? The question is, is it biblical or is it not? And he talks about that. He's got an entire section where he asks a question: How does the world approach? anthropology and he gives i think seven different categories or, or ways that that lost man would define it and uh and and will and and mike if you guys would just speak to some of those a little bit i'll, I'll just go down the list and 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 talk about the 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 ways that he says man defines it he says man defines it by philosophical idealism physical biology sexual desires material mm-hmm. wealth individual freedom social relationships, emotional health, and by existential absurdity. And I think, you know, if, if you just want to see a display of that, probably just watch one of the news channels all day long. <laughs> just uh, sit in your easy chair and watch it. You'll probably see this displayed, you know, aspects of this, you know, throughout. But uh, you guys want to just discuss some of that and in relation to, to maybe in your context, what you see as you walk in this world, we're, we're seeing that on Sunday mornings, we're in a lost and dark world. Uh, what do you guys see about that? Well, I guess I'll, I, I'll go first. Um, the, the first part I, I would, I, I just want to add on that uh, the AI and technology that, that, that impacts what we're getting ready to talk about is that with its growth and stuff, <clears throat> Um, and the and the availability of it it de- dehumanized us. So the de- de- uh, personalization of humanity and the desensitization and redefinition of things has a great impact on the on our on our views. But with what you just covered, the uh, idealism, the physical biology, sexual desires, material wealth, uh, each one of those categories elevates uh, a portion of man to a level that he really can't sustain on a permanent basis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it also emphasizes one expense of, a, of, of man over the other. So it elevates a, a level he can't sustain. And it says one, is, uh, one, one component is more important than the others. So if you elevate one, the others uh, suffer. And, uh, and, and each of them, really, if you look at them and you look at this and you see it in the media, you see it in, so, in the social platforms, it, it creates a, an idol uh, that, that, that is worshipped. And uh, and we, right. we see that in society. I mean, that's that's one of the things where, where we, we, we need to fight and we need to be aware of because when we get caught up and we're using social media to communicate, we got to be on guard that we don't get drawn into uh in, into uh, worshiping uh, a false idol or giving homage to a false idol uh, based on how uh, things are, are de- dehumanized uh, and, de- and how, you know, media is used to desensitize us or reprogram us to their idea of thinking. And we need to be aware of that by staying in God's word. So I, that's, that's how I see it. <laughs> yeah. I think that just to go through that list a little bit, the man defined by philosophical idealism is, and it, it goes all the way back to Greek philosophy when they were talking about how mm-hmm. it they elevate, like Mike was saying, they elevate one aspect of man to be the ultimate. And in that sense, they're saying that your intellect is the ultimate. And I, I can't think of a better example of that than Stephen Hawking, mm. who yeah. was crippled, who couldn't move 
anything, uh, but he, you know, he was very limited in his mobility, but he had such an astounding intellect. And that's where he placed all of his hope and his trust was in his intellect and his ability to reason. And then you have um, physical biology, which is naturalism. That's what we've seen as a product of evolutionary theory is that all that you have is the natural world. There is nothing spiritual. There is nothing outside mm-hmm. of what you can see or what can be subjected to the scientific method. Uh, the problem with that is that they don't actually live that way. Because if you try to do something that's uh, unappealing to the people who holds to this emotions, then they get upset. And right. ultimately, they're putting faith in a system that doesn't answer the ultimate question and then you have and i think what we're really seeing in society a lot today specifically is man defined by sexual desires Mm. Uh, 50 100 years ago i don't think anybody would have created an entire identity of themselves around their sexual proclivities around how they view their their sexual desires even those who were who were um gay or lesbian i don't think that they would have made that the ultimate thing about themselves but it's become that your entire life is reduced to what you believe about sex and i think that um especially with transgenderism right now and gender identity uh that is a big huge identity and like mike said it's an idol then you have man defined by material wealth and we see that in capitalistic societies this keeping up with the Joneses kind of uh, approach to life. Life is all about getting stuff. It's about making who's got the biggest bank account and, and who can do all these things with money. And um, I think Van, you actually touched that on that a little bit on Sunday when you were talking about, um, I know you talked about it on Sunday, I'm pretty sure, but the, the man, uh, living for the temporal world, living for the temporal world and having, um, that using and you had a good admonishment about not covering up your sinful desires by using spiritual language. Mm. Um, but that's what we're seeing here is this material wealth being the ultimate. And then man defined by individual freedom. And you have that people, they put their entire identity in their ability to do whatever they want to do. And that leads us to uh, social relationships. You're, you're only as and your identity is is in the social group, the tribe that you belong to. I mean, that's really big in our society today. Everybody, tribalism has become so huge. Um, and then emotional health is another one. And then existential absurdity. I had to do I had to do some digging on that one. I was like, <laughs> what is, what does that even mean? But what we're talking about is basically anything goes. It's nihilism. It's yeah everything's meaningless you might as well just do whatever you want right now because it's all that matters but that's not what the bible teaches us and so when you put all of those together what it is and some of its sinful parts of mankind like believing that anything goes or or giving into sexual desires that go against the bible and making that about your entire identity and some of it's even good things like your intellect um your productivity um your relationships with others those are good things things but they need to be subjected to the word of god and they can't be the ultimate thing and what i see here i love that because right before we got into this discussion about that um beaky was talking about the impact on these questions and about these the world's approach to anthropology but the impact on pastoral on practical ministry 
We can't appeal to just one thing. We can't appeal to just the intellect because man is not just an intellect being. We can't appeal to just emotions or community alone at the expense of all the other things. It has to be a holistic approach to ministry. And I thought that was that was a really uh, good exposition that gave a good framework for the discussion on how the world views all of these um, approaches to anthropology. Well, if I could say briefly, I, I think that I appreciate all that. I, I think that the precursor to that and what and what uh, provides the enforcement uh, power and mechanism of this is the dogma that science is ultimate. Um, right. And in that, then that combines basically the idealistic and the, and the naturalistic. Uh, AI was born in a naturalistic in a naturalistic framework. Uh, Don Mackay calls it nothing buttery. Uh, nothing buttery. Uh, and, uh, it, by that, it means uh, uh, that we're nothing but the sum total of of our uh, of our interactions. Uh, everything can be everything can be devolved to, to an algorithm. But I think, uh, Will, your 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 emphasis on the existential aspect of this, I think this really is ultimately the key. I mean, in terms of trying to describe the world, because existentialism as a philosophical movement is is the successor to basically the breakdown of logical positivism and that is of a view that ultimately that the world is logical and orderly uh, and and that it is it is driven by reason um, and uh, we we were brought to a point to where uh, that model having having fallen then we have to we have to understand, we have to have a reason to live, so to speak. And so basically we turn from the outside to the inside and try to find that rationale. Um, and, and again, I mean, that's something that is essentially at the heart, as the Bible says, of once we go inside, once we once we drive inside, then we are lost. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we don't have any anchors. We don't have any, any mileposts. We don't have anything there. Um, that ultimately was the original sin, uh, was to was to place our intelligence against God's and our wisdom against God's. Um, and so I think this is a good summary. I appreciate that. Excellent. Well, moving right along, uh, we want when we're looking at the doctrine of man and who man is and getting to the foundational and very fundamental aspects of it, we quickly arrive at the doctrine of creation because we need to know how was man made? Who made man? Uh, because that's gonna that's gonna say a lot about man. That's gonna inform our anthropology uh, a whole lot. In fact, it's almost deterministic. I would say uh, your doctrine of creation is going to determine what your doctrine of man is going to be. Uh, whether you know you believe that God created us or whether you believe we just simply evolved. And so, with that, I want to, you know, Joel Beakey, the way he structures this, he starts off just with creation in general and addresses it. And then he gets to some of the issues in the third chapter, historical questions and and other types of questions. But but just to sort of set this off, and I just want to, you know, get your comments, observations on this. But he, he says on page 30, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 56, he says, the doctrine of creation plays a crucial role in systematic theology. Creation initiates the execution of God's decree and launches history. It is a starting point for the Bible and the beginning of God's self-revelation. It lays a foundation for ethics and worship and anchors the gospel of Jesus Christ in the nature of God, the nature of man, 
and their inescapable relationship as creator and creature. Second only to redemption by the incarnate Lord, creation is the greatest manifestation of the glory of God. It was also a doctrine that was attacked early in the history of the church, resulting in the opening affirmation of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And uh, and I just want to say this. As I read that, I remembered, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago that uh, we went on vacation with uh, with some of the folks from church, and we all went to Kentucky, and we went to the Ark Experience out there. And we, got, we had a wonderful opportunity as part of that to listen to Ken Ham uh, do a lecture there. And Ken Ham said, every major doctrine of the Bible— can be traced all the way back to the first five chapters of Genesis. So what you believe about the first five chapters of Genesis is going to affect all the major doctrines that Scripture presents to us. And I think he's mm-hmm. right, and I think that's what Joel Beakey is saying right here. What do you think, guys? I, I think that's exactly what Joel Beakey is saying because he just got done with a conference uh, with Founders Ministries on what is man. Mm. And during a Q&A session, he actually made that specific statement. He said, what you believe about creation will inform the rest of what you believe about the Bible and about who God is and who man is. And I, I was struck by that statement. And I thought it was timely because I listened to this and I'm reading these chapters and it just goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. No, I think so. And I think that's why... Uh... That's why there's been a constant attack on it, not only from the world, um, as evidenced again from the evolutionary uh, view and and the grasp that it has on the scientific community. Um, uh, but also uh, uh, but also just simply to uh, the idea of um, uh, of uh, biblical criticism, uh, what basically what I was studying when I was in college, what we call higher criticism or the documentary hypothesis where the Bible is a natural book uh, that is put together as the words of man from reflections of human experience on the external ordered world or the world that is above it uh, for which it has no control. And um, yeah, I think so. I think every major battle, um, I think the, uh, the old, the old book that really set the modern narratist movement uh, in in place or gave it impetus, the battle for the Bible, I think, makes makes this particular point very well. Mm-hmm. Well, why, why don't we talk about this? You know, he talks about uh, basically false series of origins, and he goes into polytheism and pantheism and panentheism and materialism. I think in our modern day culture in the West, where we are in America, I really don't think those first three really play into people's thinking in our day and age of how everything was made. I think really it's it, it's a form of materialism that that we just had this eternal matter, this eternal stuff that was always out there, and basically it just formed, it just evolved, and and now we have all that we have now and we are continuing to evolve. Uh, do you guys want to talk to that? I mean, what, what, what do you hear? Do you ever, or have you ever gotten in conversations about those things where, I mean, you, you, you're really backing all the way up to the beginning and then you say, okay, well then what was there? What, what happened and what brought all this into being? 
I think, well, but, I mean, go ahead, Marvin. Uh, well, very briefly, I'll be very brief. Uh, you hear this, I think, when, and this is becoming a lot more popular, when it says, well, the universe is telling me or the universe is directing me. There's like a, there's like a super mind that is not embodied, that is a general, that is a general uh, uh, guiding principle of the world. This, by the way, was what existentialism fought against as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that, but just by the way, would be like a, a touch, I, I believe, of panentheism, where it they're would basically taking God and the universe and grouping them into one. Right. I agree. I agree with your analysis there. But in terms of theology, panentheism was, and to some degree still is, a very powerful motivator within Christian, the- Christian in, in air quotes, of course. Yeah, right. I think for me, I, I agree that materialism is probably the, the biggest thing I've come across in my education and upbringing. Um, the problem is it doesn't solve the ultimate question. They, they point to a source and to say that everything has eternally, like all atoms have eternally existed. Um, and it says in, on page 59, he says, all things are thought to consist of many indivisible atoms whose random collisions over time produce the universe and all things in it, including human beings. It flies in the face <clears throat> of the scientific method. And even, um, oh gosh, the laws of thermodynamics. Hmm that everything decays over time you can't say that at the beginning or things have been have always been because there's nothing physical and visible that has been eternal everything decays so you can't claim that and then at the same time hold that everything has been or or the created matter has always been in existence and it, it it just doesn't make sense with their own philosophy and also the biggest thing I've seen is that they're trying to answer a historical event with the scientific method, which is not the right basis of analysis. This, the scientific method is something that is supposed to be subject to things that we can see, something that is observable, testable, and you can't do that with an historical event because it's a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. How do you prove a historical event? You prove it through eyewitness testimony, through physical evidence, through circumstantial evidence. And those, that's how you prove a historical event. And there's only one that in the Bible tells us what happened and when it happened. And so materialism just doesn't answer the ultimate question. In fact, it kind of flies in the face. It's, it's um, what's the word I'm looking for there? It's like circular reasoning almost, mm-hmm. or their, their own hypothesis flies in the face of the rest of their teaching. Yeah, yeah, and then let me let me say this, and then Mike will throw it to you for your comment too. But and then and Will, this is right up your alley. R.C. Sproul in his book, Not a Chance, he discusses this, and he basically says, "Listen, let let's abandon this foolishness about a scientific explanation for the creation of the world." And he said many of the things you did. You know, science is you you have a, a, a hypothesis. And uh, you go into a lab and you conduct experiments over and over and over. And if you get the same result, well, then you have scientific law that comes out of that. He says, but we can't do that with creation. He says, if we're going to make a case for it, it's not a scientific case. It is a legal case where you're trying to amass the evidence of what is there. And then you're trying to come to a conclusion based upon the evidence. But he says, let's abandon this 
foolishness of saying it's scientific. It is not scientific. At the most, it's trying to make a legal case based upon the evidence as you see it and as you gather it. So uh, that's, that's exactly what you were saying, brother. So well, let me ask one more thing to Will, and then, Micah, I will toss it to you. So, Will, what you're saying, uh, you're saying that materialism eventually has to give way to faith, right? If we're going to believe yes. in eternal matter, we yes. we have they have to do the same thing in, yeah. in a sense of what we're doing, just believing. Yes, well, it's ultimately an answer of faith. It's 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 just your your the question isn't do you have faith? It's the question is what do you have faith yeah. in? Mm-hmm. And for those who hold to materialism, they're saying their ultimate faith is what they can see, taste, and touch, mm-hmm. and they don't want to. So the evolutionary idea, the whole origin of it came from somebody who was angry with God because of personal tragedy that happened in their life. And they were trying to come up with an alternate theory as to how the world got its start so that they can so that they can ignore the Bible, so that they can ignore the creation and, and relegate that to myth. They came up with their own theory, their own I um theory on how things happen that's why evolution is still a theory it's not a fact it's not a law because right. it hasn't been repeated it's not testable so it all comes down to faith and and so you the question is are you going to believe that the created order that you see in front of you is as a result of random chance that's what you're putting your faith in is a random chance or are you going to put your faith in the god who revealed himself in scripture who spoke and things came into being, who the Bible tells us that creation testifies, legal case, creation testifies to the existence of a creator. You see the logical order of the universe that has to mean that there is an intelligent mind behind it. And that intelligent mind revealed itself in scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least either faith or, or absurdity. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, again, I mean, I think C.S. Lewis made that point as well in terms of what do we do with Jesus? But, uh, yeah, I mean, what we're all talking about is the modern is the modern crisis of, of the mind. Uh, we've abandoned this idea that the world has order. And now uh, I agree with you. Uh, uh, I agree with you, Will, that it is a matter of faith. Uh, but faith in but faith in fate or, uh, or or as I said earlier, basically that in order to bring some comfort, uh, uh, that there is a uh, that there is a mind that rules the universe. We don't call him God, uh, but it, it it's better than surrendering to chaos. Yeah, I actually had a personal experience with this back in November. I you know we had a relative. We had a good discussion on on faith, and and their response was, "Well, you know, we believe in science." And I was yeah, like, exactly. "Okay, like like that is fundamentally opposed to faith. Like that's." You, you can have a, ba- a belief in both because science yeah. doesn't ultimate answer the ultimate question of faith. Yeah, you need to you need to counter that with Cornelius Van Til's uh, point in mm. terms of uh, yeah, that science only makes uh, the science and and its tools and its meaning only makes sense and if uh, they are if there is a creator. Yeah, it presupposes an order that it cannot explain. Oh, I like that. Yeah, all right, that one down. But I say on all <clears throat> on these views, they uh, even though they some of them say they they don't believe in the existence of God, they in essence they they imply that uh, there is an, a, a, 
that God exists, even exactly. though they say there is no existence of God. Exactly. And so, it uh, so that again, it gets back into they they got to have something that's their idol that they worship. And in the case of materialism, we we see that it's it's the the universe itself, the, the uh, uh, worshiping or uh, idolizing uh, creation. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it's it's it it goes back to um, I agree with what was said earlier. Um, with the if you don't believe in create you know your your belief in creation and genesis then then uh, it, it forms the basis of how you look at the at the world and the rest of the the, the bible i mean and then you got to you got to be right in and and understanding of creation and the, and the, also it says that god god uh, that uh, that that God didn't create everything. God created everything. Uh, you got the visible and invisible. So it even it even uh, it doesn't even really address the visible versus the invisible and how God was always there and God created everything. He started everything uh, by speaking it into being. And I, I think somewhere I think it was an earlier in the chap chapter uh, where it talks about that uh, you know God God was always there. God was always in existence. He, 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 he was neither created nor came into being, but he was always there. He, he, he was in the, I think it said a, uh, eternity. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, I just, I, it goes back to sovereignty of God. You got to, to me, it, it all ties in. You, you got to believe in the sovereignty and the, of God in all this. And so I, that's that kind of what I see in this. I, and, and I echo uh, agreement with everything else that's been said. Uh, let, like, uh, don't don't ask me how I know, but the beginning of volume three on the Holy Spirit really <laughs> lends a lot of light to what we're talking about right now in terms of creation, in terms of the orderliness, in terms of normal providence, uh, and in terms of this whole idea about uh, about a, uh, super, a superintending mind. Uh, Beaky makes a great point about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, and and his intelligence, he has all the other attributes of God as well. So yeah. I mean, I it's a it's a great compliment to this, I think. Yeah, and then we and we see creation going from those first five chapters all the way out through through Scripture. I was reminded of that when uh, when looking at the, his section on creation and the glory of God. Which, by the way, let me just make a, another plug to our listeners. There's so much that we have to just hydroplane over and skip over that is so rich in this book. I highly encourage you, uh, please pick up a copy of Volume 2, Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley, Systematic Theology, and and, and follow along with us, read with us as we have these times to discuss, because there's so, so much depth and so much richness that we just simply can't get to. And one of them is uh, this section in Chapter 2, Creation and the Glory of God. He talks about the uniqueness of the Creator, the Trinity of the Creator, the power of the Creator, the authority of the creator, the wisdom of the creator, and the goodness of the creator. And in that middle section, the power of the creator, it just reminds me, even last Sunday, we we're talking about regeneration, and we're talking about, you know, one of the passages that I referenced was a scripture that said, the God who said, let there be light has shown in our mm -hmm. hearts to give us the glory of the revelation of the Son of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So, I mean, it just goes everywhere. So if you're going to say, well, let there be light, well, that was uh, just 
poetic or that was just sort of figurative or, you know, anything but literal, then, then how can we take that and talk about the literal power of God and say that the the literal power of God that created light in the beginning is the same power of God that creates light in the heart of the dark heart of the unbeliever. So it's just everywhere. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, yeah. Uh, like I say, volume three on the Holy Spirit, it nails that. So there you yeah. go. There you it'll, be a, it, it'll be a while before we get to it, but it'll be worth it too. If we were just as fast as you, it could get there as fast as you did. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 no, no, that's a, that's not a that's not a goal to aspire to. Yeah, yeah, and and Van, what you just summarized, you know, the power and the and his glory and his uniqueness. I mean. Like at the end of the chapter, he summarizes, why would you glorify and give honor to to God? When you look at uh, the uniqueness and and, and just his power and his authority, we should we should be we should be worshiping and and declaring his glory and his majesty. Hmm. Um, And the fact is, that's one of the weaknesses of man. We man tends not to do that. He tends to worship and give his uh, his praise and glory to uh, to things that created versus the creator. And uh, so our challenge is, is to, is to just stay in the word and, and to, uh, and to, um, to worship the creator and give him all thanks and glory and praise for, for, for all things. Yeah. That's what Paul said in Romans one is the degeneration of man. It's the end stage of depravity and decline. Yeah. Worshiping the creature rather than the creator. your view of of God creating things, speaking things into existence. If you if you see, if you hold to an evolutionary view of well, God didn't actually speak and it actually happened immediately, then you're that's going to impact your view about how God works in your salvation, how God exactly softens the hearts of sinners. If God has that's what Scripture says and what Van was reading in Second Corinthians, God shone the light. He spoke. He softened the heart immediately. It's something that happens. Mm. It's not something that happens over time through an evolutionary process, mm. because then all people would become saved. Then, right? If 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 we have evolution and then that's a, a general gradual tra- uh, change, then all people would ultimately come to that knowledge. But that's not what Scripture testifies to. And so to have that biblical view of creation under the six day model to see that God spoke and it happened that really directly informs your ability to see how God speaks and, and softens the heart of sinners and brings them to a knowledge of sin so that they can come to repentance. Exactly. And I was watching a, a video from answers in Genesis the other day that said, this fundamentally is a problem of an old earth, uh, an old earth model uh, is a sense that uh, if you're going to disdain, uh, d- uh, maintain Adam as a distinct historical figure, but yet, uh, allow millions of years for development uh, of human of the human person or the human humans through various stages of intellectual and physical development. Uh, then, uh, well, the very theological problem you you uh, you've stated is just insurmountable. Uh, you cannot. At that point, you have to abandon the Bible to explain it. Yeah, yeah, and that gets us really to where we want to go. And and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners this is probably where a lot of their questions reside. And in this final chapter, uh, 
Joe Beakey discusses the historical and theological questions. And so I want us to talk about this. And it, it, you, great segue into it, Marvin, because the first question is, is yeah. Genesis chapters one and two historical narrative? And he says down at the bottom of page 79, uh, basically, as a concluding word, he says, therefore, as evangelical and reformed Christians, we should not call Genesis 1 a myth, but regard it as theological, historical literature. It is theological in that its main points pertain to the revelation of God and his works. It is historical in that its words truly describe real events, people, and things. It is literature for God crafted it with skill and wisdom to communicate its truth to men. Genesis is the word of God. Let me toss that to you guys. What about that question? Is Genesis chapters one and two, is it really historical narrative? And Marvin, I know when you went to seminary, this was this was one of the big things that was broiling back in the day, not just uh, not just that aspect, but actually who wrote Genesis and the JEPD yeah. theory and things right. like that. But uh, but guys, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the. We'll, we'll just throw them all together. Is it historical narrative? How did God create ex nihilo out of nothing? Uh, and then just at the very end, the question Beaky asked: How should we interpret the six days of creation? Let's discuss. Well, I think he makes a good point in the fact in, in um, 78, and I think uh, he says, uh, first or second paragraph, he says, though there are some parallels between Genesis and other ancient Near Eastern documents, the Genesis account differs significantly from other creation stories. Um, and uh, higher criticism and uh, a naturalistic understanding, evolutionary understanding of the Bible uh almost always says that the biblical narrative actually follows the mythological, uh, the mythological path. Uh, he talks about the Enuma Elish and he talks about the other stories of the flood and of uh, uh, other judgments and things like that and says this is where the biblical writers got them from. But what Beaky says, it's actually the other way around. Mm. Well, for me, the, the the thing that that is the nail in the coffin is this. Okay, how should we look at Genesis? Well, I don't think we go wrong with doing it the same way Jesus did. Can't go wrong going with Jesus. And so you look at how he looked at it, and uh, he looked at it as literal. Uh, yeah. He looked at it as as uh, Adam was a historical figure. And, and even the apostle Paul, you get to Romans five, he talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. Well, clearly the second Adam and the work that the second Adam does is Christ's work. Right. But if it's going to be contingent upon and based upon and really correcting the issues that the first Adam created, but yet you're going to say the first Adam is not a historical man who is a federal head, a representative of the entire human race. Well, you've got problems there because whatever you say about the first Adam, you've got to say about the second Adam as far as those aspects of representation. You know, Adam represented his race. Christ represents his race, his people, his humanity. Yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole concept of covenant is involved with that. Mm -hmm. I think also the the genealogies. Mm. There's first, there's the, yeah. uh, the, the first point Beaky makes is that it doesn't read it's either poetry or it's historical narrative. And he says that 
that doesn't contain the parallelism that is that you see in, in Hebrew poetry. So therefore, it's historical narrative. Also, you have the genealogies and uh, Luke. Put it down. Uh, Luke three twenty three through thirty eight, uh, the New Testament traces the genealogy of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam, and mm -hmm. you can't do that unless it is it's historical, as in it, it actually happened. Like you said, there's a real Adam in the in Romans five, the first Adam compared to the second Adam. So the ability to for the biblical authors to trans to to um, trace. Christ's gene genealogy all the way back to the creation is incredible. And I think it's also when you're doing family worship and you get to a chapter on genealogies, it can be so tedious to get to go through as a family. But I always come back to that point is that this is important because it tells us that this isn't just a myth, that this is truth, because mm -hmm. genealogies are important to establish a historical record show that this person then this person then this person it's like a chain of custody almost yeah. on on historical events and, and luke is a historian so he would lose yeah. credibility if indeed he did trace back and uh trace back through a series of myths so to speak that had no that had no basis so yeah, yeah I, I i think even the biblical text itself would declare that yeah and beaky even even uh points out that that whole aspect of genealogies, it just doesn't register and hit us like it did them. And even to today in the Middle East, uh, those yeah. genealogy is still a big thing. You know, your family that you came from, your lineage and all. But with us, it's, you know, at the most, it's just a matter of interest. You know, you're going to go to Ancestry.com and, hey, where did I come from? You know, and that's that's just kind of the, the length of it, you know. Mike, what do you got to say, brother? Well, I'm trying to. I was looking for other points to bring up, but I guess I would go. I would say that all things um, that we we're looking at, all things owe their entire uh, entire being to the creation of the Word of God. It goes back. You know, we talked about the uh, the historical narrative, the genealogy, and the, the uh, uh, how Christ treated it. So, I mean, to me, you know, Christ went back to the Word of God. He went back to uh, like like was said. And so I, they, everything owes their, their existence or being to the created word of God. It, it gets into that doctrine or the uh, ex, I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, Nihilio. Ex Nihilio. Uh, so that, um, I mean, it, 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 the Bible is clear that, that God did, you know, uh, speak things uh, into the, uh, into creation. He, he didn't take matter that was already in existence. And create things out of the matter already in existence. Um, to me, it goes back to show the you know it goes back and it complements uh, the character of God and and the and His work uh, throughout redemptive history. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I need to say too, you know, as far as being confessional, uh, the sixteen eighty nine does hold to a literal six day creation. It says. Uh, in chapter four, uh, the name of the chapter is of creation. Uh, the first paragraph says in the beginning, it pleased God, the father, son, and Holy spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good. And so, uh, so as we hold our confession, 
we are holding to a literal six-day creation. And, you know, in the Reformed world, that uh, not everybody would do that. Some take exception to that, you know, and uh, some would hold to different views. I, I think of, I was thinking about Tim Keller this morning. And, and you know, the thing with Tim Keller is just, just in general, he uh, he's, he's a mixed bag. I mean, some things he's written, I think, are yeah. very, very good, very oh, excellent. His book on right. marriage had so many wonderful, uh, good things in it. For a while, I was using that for premarital counseling with people whenever we, uh, whenever we, we were going through that. And so, uh, and and yet there are other things as well. And I would really, if, if people are interested in Keller, I would encourage them to get a little book of essays. Uh, it is called Engaging with Keller. Uh, I think I couldn't find the, uh, the, uh, my book on the shelf today, but the subtitle was something like thinking through the theology of, of a theologian or an influential evangelical or something like that. But I remember one of the chapters in it discussed his view of theistic evolution. And basically in a nutshell, Keller would say, yes, God did create the world. God created everything in the world, but the mechanism, the means by which he did it was an evolutionary type of means. So therefore theistic evolution. And I know he was a, a group, a member of a group called BioLogos. I, I don't know mm -hmm. if he was a member of that through his whole life, but they held to a view of theistic evolution yeah. as well. So, uh, so again, uh, all that just to say that in the reformed world, uh, everybody is not lockstep in a literal six day creation. I think, I think I agree with, I, I appreciate that very much. I think Keller, uh, in terms of, uh, his, in terms of his use of, of theology and doctrine is very good in answering what we have been calling the existential questions. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think, I, I think a lot of that is very helpful, but I think when he gets beyond that, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, guys, anyone have any closing remarks? Because I know, Will, you've got to get out of here. Your your uh, training is starting very soon, your your workshop. So uh, any parting shots, very brief parting shots real quick before we go. I, there was one uh, question that was at the end of Chapter 3 um, under questions for meditation or discussion. Um, the, well, actually, there's a few questions, but the one that I thought with most pertinent was why is the doctrine of creation of ex nihilo crucial for the biblical doctrine of God? Mm. And I had to think about that for a minute because, but then it I had to go back and reread it. And I think that when you think of the doctrine of God and you, the question is, did God create something out of nothing or was he using materials that already existed in his creation? And your view on that determines your view on God's sovereignty, because to, to say that, God wasn't able to create out of nothing limits God's ability. It limits his sovereignty and his power. And so it's actually very, it's a very uh, crucial doctrine to understand that God created the world out of nothing. He spoke and out of the words of his mouth, it came into being. And Will, what, what about accountability? What if, what if there was something that was made, was created not by God, how would that creation be accountable to God? It's not. Hmm. Because if, awesome. it, if it existed independent of God and God had to use it in order to mm -hmm. do his work, then God is not, God is subject to that thing. Yeah. And God it, is, 
it would assume there's another uh, authority out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it was a subject of some of the earliest theological controversies as well. I mean, these these issues have been fought out for years, and uh, the Orthodox Church has always had the the opinion that we have in the fact that this is something that has to be ironed out. If indeed, not only are we to maintain proper proper doctrine, but also proper life as well. These ultimately pour out, as we've been inferring, implying from our discussion, uh, into ethics. Uh, very much what motivates you to walk and to behave and to uh, and to act in a way that gets you outside yourself and reflect and and, and appeals to other people. Right, and that 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 sort of gets us to to Beaky's very last sentence in chapter three, where he says, "Well, actually, last two, He says, "What do we have that we did not receive? And if we received it all from God, then why do we boast?" Let us boast only in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, three sentences there, but <laughs> so uh, absolutely our ultimate accountability is, is to God. He made us. We have nothing but what he has given us and he's created all things. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank y'all so much. Wonderful conversation this morning. And uh, let's conclude it with prayer. Mike, could I ask you to pray for us and close us out? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, this 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 time that we've had to uh, just uh, in, enjoy uh, uh, each other's uh, fellowship, Lord, and discussion of the first three chapters of this volume on on what is man and looking at anthropology and the theology of anthropology and the historical view and how Christ viewed it, Lord. Lord, I just uh, I just pray and hope and uh, that this discussion has. Uh, uh, has helped in the application of the uh, of the truth of your word, Lord, and and how biblical view on this matter uh, is uh, helps us to glorify God and, and brings all 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 things uh, into perspective, Lord. That uh, God spoke uh, spoke uh, creation into being, Lord. Uh, he it, it magnifies His Majesty, His His uh, supremacy, His sovereignty, Lord. And Lord, I, I just I thank you, and I just uh, I pray that this would be an encouragement to all to to dig into God's word, to study God's word, to seek out uh, authors, uh, biblical authors, scholars, uh, Lord, uh, who who help amplify and, and help provide an understanding uh, for uh, God's word, Lord. And Lord, I thank you again for uh, the time that we spent here. I thank you for uh, Marvin and. and Van and Will, Lord, and I, and, and I pray that, uh, that that we would continue these discussions and that they would would be of help to the audience who listens to them as well. Which in your name I pray, Amen. 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 Well, thank you to our listeners for for listening in. I invite you to uh, to be with us next time. We're going to get more into these aspects of creation. We're going to talk more deeply about uh, the creation of man. We're going to talk more deeply about the historical Adam. So, Lord willing. Uh, we look forward to speaking on those.